Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is our president and CEO, the economist, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you? I am doing well. I do want to let everyone know before we get too deep into the program, we did experience some technical issues today, but I think uh, through the magical power of editing, we were able to clean them all up. We've got two kind of interesting topics today. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about a Supreme Court case about whether or not COVID misinformation is counted as protected speech and what kind of implications that could have for the free practice of medicine. That's coming up in a few minutes. But first, there's a new uh, set of rankings, Ron, from Just Capital and CNBC that list what they are calling the most just companies in the United States. And by just, they're taking a look at uh, how they treat their workers and customers, how they support their communities and address environmental impacts, as well as their corporate governance. And the reason I bring this up, Ron, is in the top 10, we have two major uh, health insurance carriers pop up. We have Cigna at number six and Elevance at number eight. And uh, I wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about this and, and think about some of the other current event items that are going around, around with these companies, in particular, a class action lawsuit against Cigna and how these uh, companies in your mind and in the mind perhaps of physicians would be ranked as just companies. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I looked at this list, there were a couple of things that struck me. And, and first one was, which is not surprising, is that the whole list is primarily what you would be considered either high tech or white collar companies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, you don't see tobacco companies on here. You don't see, you know, you know, major manufacturing companies mm -hmm. to a large degree. So, and that would, and that would tend to make sense. The other thing that, and I, I, now I look at this with these kind of jaded view, whenever somebody brings out any kind of a poll, and, and the first thing I think about is, well, the last two elections weren't really accurate in the pre-election yeah, polling. That's true. And and, and I, I'm not going to get too geeky in my statistics degree, but we have a problem right now in any kind of a public opinion polling, whether it's political or things like this, in that we no longer have the ability to create a, um, you know, an unbiased sample. And there's been a lot of research in this, especially with the political polling. And the reason being that for years and years and years, the ways you conduct polling was you called home phone numbers mm -hmm. and you could get a pretty good unbiased sample. Now you can't because there are many families, myself included, that don't have a landline. Yep. We use cell phones yep. and those aren't as easy to get to. And so what we, they know is that the people who are answering home um, landlines are skewed. Um, mm -hmm. They're skewed by age. They're skewed by demographic. They're skewed by, you know, and, and that's created problems with the predictability of the last two um, election um, polling. And there's not a great way to get at the whole population. So part of me says, I'm not sure whether this is really reflective or I'm not sure it isn't because all this polling stuff is, you know, is pretty questionable. Now, to the question of if you asked let's say they're direct customers. Okay, let's say you could, for each of these companies, ask their direct customers, whether that be the physician customer for, um, for Cigna and Advance, mm -hmm. or the people who have their insurance, I think you might get a very different response than yeah. the general public. 
per se. I, I, that, that was what I took from it. No, and I agree particularly because uh, uh, Sigma's got that class action lawsuit against mm-hmm. uh, against them for uh, the use of PXDX and all those denials. Um, and I can tell just from experience, and I know you have the same experience as well, working with our clients at Fulcrum Strategies, uh, you know, just trying to get basic information about contracts from some of these companies is next to impossible sometimes. Um, they, they make it very difficult for providers uh, to to stay on top of what they should be getting paid and what the terms of their agreements are with the insurance carriers. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I, you know, when I worked for Cigna, I could remember, and I hadn't been working for them very long, and somebody who had been there for a long time, now this is a, many, many years ago, um, said, well, you, you know what Cigna stands for, don't you? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, you know, C-I-G-N-A, you know what that stands for, don't you? And I thought I was going to impart some wisdom on me and how the company name came in. I said, no, I don't. He said, it stands for call in, get no answer. (laughs) Um, And that was an internal employee joking around about that. So, yeah, and that's, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of big companies that have those kind of self-reflective feelings. But yeah, I mean, our our clients would definitely not rank Cigna high up in the just companies list. Yeah. Uh, And I would add in too that perhaps with some of these other companies, if they, even if they've got the same kind of attitude towards their, their own company, they're, you know, it's not healthcare. Healthcare is a little bit, healthcare is a little bit more sensitive for people because it's, you know, it's a little bit more necessary than, you know, um, well, I won't say semiconductors aren't necessary from Intel, (laughs) but you know, because those are used in almost everything today. Um, But I I just thought that this was an interesting uh, ranking list. And I thought it was interesting that Cigna and Elevance, uh, obviously, the parent company of Anthem, mm-hmm. um, making it into the top ten. I, I do know that there were several other payers that made, that made it into the top hundred, including Humana United, CVS, and and Centene. Um, mm-hmm. Excuse me, they were in the top two hundred. They, in, you can yeah. look at their rankings on the linked article uh, in the show notes if you're curious. Uh, but again, Cigna and Elevance being ranked as some of the ju- most just companies in the U.S. and I find that a little bit laughable. And with mm-hmm. that, we are going to move on to something a little bit more pressing and a little bit more uh, relevant, I think, to our clients. And that is this Supreme Court case that is going to take a look at whether or not COVID misinformation speech uh, is protected speech. Uh, and as you may be thinking, why are we still talking about COVID? It's 2024. We've moved on from the pandemic. Uh, but some of the um, laws that have been passed in this country, you know, I'm thinking in particular with California. Um, I'm thinking uh, in, in some of these other states as well, where they have tried to make it so uh, you cannot spread misinformation about COVID-19 or, or any sort of, um, you know, perhaps medical advice uh, without the possibility of losing your medical license. And that that's what they try to do in the state of California. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Ron, what you think this means for uh, the practice of medicine in general and and how providers can or, or will or will not be able to make their recommendations to their patients. What do you think about this case? Well, first of all, I think a couple of things. Um, the idea of free speech is probably one of the most narrow eye of a needle that the, the courts have to thread of all the, the rights, if you will. Um, I wouldn't want to sit on the Supreme Court and, and get involved in these kind of cases because, you know, there's easily, I think, decent arguments, both pro and con, um, uh, on that free speech right. The other thing that I'm always reminded of, and I'm not an attorney, but I've had attorneys you know, explain this to me, that say there's no such thing as an, you know, an unfettered right. 
that a lot of times they, the Supreme Court views these as the you have the right to life pursuit, you know, happiness pursuit, happiness, et cetera, um, up until the point where it injures or damages somebody else or mm-hmm. infringes upon somebody else's rights. So your rights stop at your at your doorstep, so to speak. Um, and that's I think really what this one gets into is we all want free speech. We just don't want to do it, you know, at the expense of others. And that gets into that whole, you know, you can't you all fire in a crowded movie theater kind right. of thing. Yep. Um, you can't and you can't use free speech to incite violence on someone else. Right. Um, when it gets into medicine, it, it adds another layer of complexity, which is should physicians be allowed to express their clinical opinion, um, even when it may fly in the face of others' clinical opinion? And that's really, I think, where the whole COVID thing came down. Where people have said, well, as a doctor, this is my clinical opinion, and I believe that this. And even if the vast majority of other doctors disagree, where do we start to to draw that line and say you can't say that? Um, and then the other side of it is, and what damages or what recourse can you have against a physician who is spreading what others believe misinformation? And now we get into the whole issue of malpractice. You know, a yeah. doctor can tell their individual patient, hey, I don't think you should do X. And if that results in a negative outcome and that doctor is deemed to be negligent for doing that, they can be sued for malpractice. Right. Well, should physicians who, and I'll take COVID an example, publish on, you know, on a social media site, I don't agree that anyone should get the COVID vaccine. It's my clinical opinion. Can somebody then sue them if they get COVID and die and say, I was following your medical advice? Or do they have to be their direct patient? It gets mm-hmm. into a really, really sticky issue in general, um, personal opinion. I don't like the idea of limiting this kind of free speech. No. Um, you know, if, if, a, if a doctor wants to say something on a social media um, site, I, I don't like the idea of who's going to be the arbiter to say you can't say that. Um, my own personal opinion. Now, I also think there were a fair amount of doctors that were spreading really crazy, unfounded, unscientific things, and I didn't listen to them, but I know there were some that did. And I think there were probably some individuals that were damaged because of that. Um, So this one's, you know, like I said, this one's tough. I don't like restricting physicians in general, um, but then it raises the question of what responsibility do they have, and can they be held responsible in their medical license? Right. Which is a whole different question. And, you know, and we had that conversation, gosh, I think what I say it was like two years ago now about a a particular physician um, who had written a book uh, under a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And um, he seemed to have kind of this, and he's not the only one, but he seemed to kind of have this Galileo complex of people are, are censoring me. Because I'm speaking out against an issue that, you know, I, I think the establishment is wrong on and I'm going to be proved right in the end. How complex do you think that this issue of, you know, being a, a martyr in this sense, it, how, how much worse is it going to make it for actual medical misinformation? Not even not stuff that's borderline where we could talk about, you know, borderline, you know, medical advice, but stuff that is legitimately um bad advice you know how how much worse is that going to make it if we start making martyrs um out of particular individuals 
Well, and, 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 and I think you hit it right in the head. You know, in some respects, as soon as the government tries to stamp down something, there's a segment of the population that's going to see that must be right, and they're going to flock to it. You know, um, rather, you know, saying, well, geez, you know, that's interesting. Um, you know, they're recommending that you drink bleach. Um, boy, that probably isn't a good idea. And here's all the clinical reasons not to. Right. Or here are the millions of physicians who think that's probably a bad idea. But the instant the government says you can't say that, it, it gains credibility just because of that. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's part of the reason why that stuff, you know, had the kind of life that it did. Um, was the, you know, whether they were telling them to absolutely get it off your site or suggesting that they did or whatever, any times it feels like the government's trying to suppress something right now in this environment, it gains credibility. Now, now this particular case, uh, Murphy v. Uh, Missouri is alleging that federal officials had coerced social media uh, and search engines uh, like Facebook and Twitter and Google mm -hmm. to remove or um, hide certain posts that, that question vaccine safety in particular, COVID origins and, and shutdown oh. measures. Um, but like I said, I, this, this decision, depending on, you know, how it's depending on how it's decided and depending on how the opinion is written, um, I do think can have, can have wider uh, oh. implications on, on other issues than just COVID. And the other, the, right. the other point coming to be is, you know, do people have a right to use, things like Facebook or Twitter and as, as free speech platforms? And do they have the right to say what they want on those platforms, um, no. particularly about uh, medical issues? And then what stops people from not creating their own um, platforms to, to intentionally spread mis more misinformation? Excuse me. And uh, I want to do, I do want to ask you, Ron, too, the, you know, is the damage already done in this instance? Because whether or not, Facebook or Twitter or Google censored certain opinions during the COVID pandemic or are continuing to censor current opinions, there's a perception that they are. Um, uh -huh. So is the damage already done by those who are convinced that, you know, they're, they're being censored and their medical opinion is being censored um, and therefore that they must be right? Um, I think to some degree, the damage is already done. Uh, you know, hindsight always being twenty twenty. I think um, the the fact that whether it was actual coercion or whether it's a suggestion or not, the belief is there that the government tried to suppress free speech, and therefore the damage is is, is somewhat done because it lends credibility to it, and, and that belief's already there. That's going to be hard to overcome, um, and so I think, to, like I said, to some degree that damage is already done. The other thing that, that sort of is interesting in all this whole discussion, and I've had arguments with people about this, is, you know, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Google or whatever, those are not public entities. It's not right. like, you know, the airwaves for, you know, for public access broadcasting. Those are private companies, and they're companies that can allow members to access them or not access them. They're companies that could charge for membership um, if they wanted to, and some do, at some levels, et cetera. So the, the, the point that they have to allow complete free speech, I, I don't think personally exists. Mm -hmm. um, just like if I'm the owner of a, uh, of a restaurant or a bar, I mean, my father, when I was young, owned a bar, and we could refuse to service anyone as long as we weren't discriminating. 
you know, we couldn't say, well, I'm sorry, but African-Americans aren't allowed in here. No, that's discriminatory. There's different laws. Right. But it was my dad's establishment. And if somebody walked in, he said, I don't want to serve you. He didn't have to serve him. Um, and, and so, you know, Twitter or Google or whatever, I think as a private business has the right to say, I'm not going to allow this to be posted um, if it's non-discriminatory. Um, and that's part of what I think, you know, Facebook and them have said is that, no, we made that decision and it's, and it's our policy. Same thing with the kerfuffle when they would kick people off. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, it, it's not a, it's not a public airwave kind of thing. A lot of people want to confuse that issue. And in that, but, but also as a, as a private entity, if the government said, Hey, we'd like you to take it off your thing. I'd say, go pound sand. Yeah. You know, I, you can't tell me what to do. It's my company. Right. And it's my community. You know? And there's that, that's where that question of coercion comes in. And yeah. you're right. The unlike, also unlike TV or uh, radio or even this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, the platform is not going to get sued for misinformation. The person who posted it on the platform can get right. sued um, personally. But the, the, as far as I'm aware, Facebook and Twitter and others or X uh, are now um, are currently immune from that kind of from, uh, yeah. litigation. Um in the same way, so we're on Substack. You couldn't sue Substack for for what we publish right. on there. You'd be suing um, us instead. Although that is not an invitation to do that. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, the other thing that, that that it gets to, and this is why it's such a sticky issue. Everybody likes free speech except for the stuff they don't agree with, right? Um, and that's you know, so uh, you know the the you know the same people would argue that you know, boy, you should let anybody put anything they want on Twitter and you should not, or, you know, or Facebook or whatever, you should not suppress any idea around whether the vaccine was valid or not, or whether the disease came from monkeys or was intentionally released. All that should be fair game. And then you ask them, well, should it be fair game if somebody puts on their hate speech? Should it be fair game if they put on there that, you know, we should kill everybody from a certain, from a certain political party or from a certain persuasion or a certain, well, no, absolutely not. Well, hold on. I thought free speech was free speech. And, and that's the hard part is where does that line get drawn? Mm-hmm. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there, but we got Ron back. So, Ron, I wanted to ask one other question before we wrap up today, and I, it has something to do with the, um, the, the outcome of this case and some of the implications it could have. We had an instance where the state of California was trying to, and I don't recall if they ended up passing it or not, they were trying to pass a, a law that would allow the their state medical association to remove the licenses of physicians who were spreading uh, COVID misinformation in particular, but other medical misinformation as well. And I think most people can agree on, most reasonable people, that is, most of the medical community can agree on what COVID misinformation is. But what happens when this spreads into other perhaps more politically charged issues like, um, you know, care for, you know, an ectopic pregnancy or something like that, or care for, for a, a risky pregnancy, not necessarily even an ectopic pregnancy, um, where some physicians might advocate for an abortion, other physicians might advocate uh-huh. for some other course of treatment uh, to try and save the life of the, of the child. If it's politically uh-huh. convenient to advocate advocate for the abortion what happens then when the state decides well it's medical misinformation to say others otherwise you know is, is that is that going to be interfering with the physician's ability to practice medicine do you think well i think you know i think there are some physicians that would argue that you know uh the elimination of roe v wade and turning that question into the state's 
interferes with their ability to practice medicine the way they want to. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I think that, and, and I'm not saying whether I agree with them or disagree with them. Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly big for the most part states rights guy that I think the constitution eliminated, uh, illustrated the things the federal government could do and everything else is states rights. Um, and, and you don't have an sort of an inalienable right to practice medicine any way you want to in a given state, the state has the ability to create those parameters. They already create parameters around, you know, training levels and what certain levels of providers can do versus not do. And some states, you know, mid-levels can practice more independently than others, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they already do restrict um, practice. And so if a state wanted to pass a law that says this is considered misinformation, I think they should have the right to do so. Now, I will say the one thing I like about you know, if, if states have these kind of licensure things going on, is at least the physician in question is afforded a due process, right? Um, because they got a process of doing it. And B, if a, if a law, and let's say, and I'm not saying this, let's say a state passed a law that said it is now considered illegal in the practice of medicine in this state to even talk about an abortion. I don't think any state would do that, but let's say they do. Then the physician in that state would see it coming, would know it got passed, and could choose to practice in another state. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I'm not as worried about states getting into this because A, I think it's their right. B, I don't think they're going to go too far. C, the physician's going to have due process. And D, if they don't like it, you can move to another state. Right. Vote, voting with your feet, in other words. Exactly. And so can the people who live in that state, mm-hmm. you know? So. Well, Ron, uh, even with the technical hiccups, I appreciate you sitting down with me again to have these conversations uh, here on the Flatlining Podcast. No problem. Enjoyed it as always. Miss an episode of the Flatlining Podcast? Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.